Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, a quick note about ads from us, your hosts. We are picky about our advertisers and all of our partners or brands or products that we either use ourselves or that we think our audience would benefit from knowing about. Working with advertisers is what allows us to make this show and they keep working with us because you, our listeners, use the unique links and codes they provide. It's one of the most meaningful ways to support what we do. So thanks for that. We're really, really grateful. If you're ever looking for a specific code, head to a thing or two hq.com slash sponsors and you'll find them all. Okay, here's the show. Welcome to A Thing or Two, deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Mazur. And I'm Erica Cerullo. If you want more where this came from and want to support us in general, head to a thing or two hq.com and sign up for Secret Menu, which will get you weekly access to members-only content. To share your thoughts on this episode or anything at all, leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463 or DM us on Instagram at a thing or two hq or join our Geneva and talk about it with fellow A Thing or Two listeners. This is our first recording post-holiday break. Yes. Yes, Claire, it is. It is. How are you feeling about that? Pretty good. I, you know, it always <laughs> feels good to take a break. I always feel recharged. Coming to you live from rainy Los Angeles. And and I'm coming to you live from 60 degree New York. So, you know, we could have <laughs> done it. It's, it's a real swap over here. Real I, parent trap situation with our weather. I did see an Instagram of somebody having a drink outside and I was like, what's happening over there? <laughs> I, I walked up the street to, you know, get fish for dinner before mm-hmm. this and a woman who was wearing like a flannel shirt, but fully off the shoulders mm. because it is truly warm enough to just have a tank on and pretend mm. that you're wearing a flannel because it's January and you can't wear a tank top on the street in New York in January without feeling like a, a nut. Wow. Okay. Well, it's, I, yeah, I that's think the energy. <laughs> Energy. I'm like wishing I brought my puffer to Los Angeles. So I mean, related to this dress codes. <laughs> yeah. So I went to a wedding in Mexico in December as destinations weddings are. It was a multi-day event and I was like an amazing wedding. Amazing people love the bride and groom could not have loved the dress code more because it was such a journey. I'm just going to take you through it. Okay, <laughs> please, please. Night one, dressy slash beachy casual. Night two, cocktail slash dressy casual slash festive. Night three, beach formal. I was particularly obsessed with the transition from beachy casual to dressy casual to beach formal. Like what a journey and such a natural progression. 
I didn't rely too heavily on the instructions because I felt like I had a sense. I appreciated them, liked them as a barometer and a sort of a gut check of like, am I going in the right direction here? But the events themselves were so like clear in what the vibe was going to be that I didn't feel like I needed the dress code. I do feel like in these situations, whenever I read the dress code instructions from a bride and groom, I'm always imagining it that they're writing it in response to like 17 stressed out texts and emails from people who don't know what to wear. It's yes, like yes, your yes. aunt who hasn't been to a wedding in three years and then your friend who's just like really neurotic. And I'm always reading those things specifically in that way. So I love that they were just like, we're just going to put beach and dressy and casual in all of the nights and in just in different orders. And people can just do with that what they want. I was like, I approve completely. I think that is exactly the right read on it because I was so confused by the words dressy and casual coexisting in so uh-huh. many places because I was like, wait, which is it though? And I think your read is right that it's whatever you want because it is a beachy wedding in Mexico in December and you just do you. The one that was the most helpful for me was beach formal. Because I was like, okay, so it is formal. That's always where I'm like, are people like wearing long gowns to these things? What's happening? And I went with a neon puffy, basically ball gown. And I really, I felt very comforted that it was right because of the description beach formal. I'm so glad. Was there any mood board or content like that? Because if you recall, we mentioned on another episode, maybe it was about costume dressing. Mm-hmm. Our friend Kayleen wrote a story for The Cut titled The Bride and Groom Formally Requests That You Dress Up that was basically about these extremely elaborate mood boards and Pinterest yes. motifs people are putting together mm-hmm. for Studio 54 Prospect Park. The article is incredibly charming and it really captures that first emergence from the pandemic vibe that people were having, the enthusiasm combined with the anxiety of getting dressed to go places. (laughs) The neurotic enthusiasm Mm -hmm. of getting dressed. Mm -hmm. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Can we talk about the concept of winter beach chic in general? Mm -hmm. Yes. Are you, you sometimes go to the beach in the winter. Well, I... I do sometimes go to the beach in the winter, not sometimes by choice, sometimes not. I always assume it's not by choice. <laughs> That's fair. That's a fair assumption. But I do like the, when I think of winter beach chic, I unfortunately just think of sweater and shorts. Like it's a in the 90s, it was a fisherman sweater and a cut off short mm-hmm. and a woman running, a model running on the beach with like beach waves. Yes. It was like early L, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of energy. And then now it's a bit more, there was like a 2017 cover of Vogue that featured, you know, seven, seven of our like current supermodels. Mm -hmm. And I need you to click through. It's like the black turtleneck. Mm -hmm. I'm familiar. Oh yeah. Yeah. With the Uh little pattern short, with the little belt. They're really like Um, hot pants almost. Yeah. Hot pants is more the word. (laughs) More the word. It's more of a hot pant. But that is like the modern version, I guess, yes. of the sweater and short look. I mean, look, I'm still going to do the 90s one. Well, did have we already discussed on this podcast? And even if we have it, I think it warrants another discussion. The Harrison Ford at Con wearing shorts and a sweater. <gasps> I don't know that we have, but we need to. I'm pretty sure it was at Con. Let's see. It was 1982. WSJ wrote a whole article about this. Let's see. That basically yes, Harrison Ford Film is your Festival. style icon. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Young Harrison Ford is our uh, style icon. Yeah. yeah and he's yeah. wearing it with boat shoes. He looks great. Well, I didn't go to any Mexican beach weddings. Mm-hmm. I did do something really big, though, over what did break, you do? which is I purchased a pegboard. Congratulations. Now, to be clear, it's a very small pegboard, okay. but I've like always loved pegboards. I don't know. There's just like something about the symmetry of it. Mm-hmm. And it feels 
it's both unfussy and fussy at once. You know mm. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. putting this st- your shit like on display, being like, who cares? It's mm-hmm. just out. But then in this very organized, right, right, right. Mm-hmm. way. So I was doing some research into pegboards and I learned that pegboard is an expired trademark. It used to be a brand name. Wow. Like pegboard was a name, like corn nuts, basically. Mm-hmm. It is mm-hmm. a generic trademark, <laughs> which led me down a whole other journey. This New York Times story from 2019 that taught me another tremendous term. If a brand name is understood by the public to refer broadly to a category of goods and services rather than a brand specific good or service, a company may be at risk of losing its trademark. Escalator, cellophane, and laundromat have all lost their trademark status to genericide. Wow. So, but they're clear. Genericide. Wow. Genericide. Love this. I, but how has Kleenex not lost its brand name to this? Okay, so apparently there are all kinds of, this article is amazing because there are all kinds of fights about this because Xerox mm. also like yes. launched a whole campaign where they would use Xerox as an adjective to be like Xerox copier, to be like, see, we're not synonymous with this. You can't oh. just like, you can't erase our trademark. It's a big fight that people have, but trampoline lost theirs. You know, this is, oh my gosh. This is the whole thing. I didn't know trampoline was Of course a brand not. Thing. Of course yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. I highly, highly recommend this story. It's, it's a real delight. Okay. Anyway, back to but the anyway, pegboard. <laughs> back to pegboards. Obviously, Julia Childs is like the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate. And that, you know, she had the, like a whole wall of these like teal greenish pegboards in her kitchen with copper pots and all of that. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea of that or an entire wall, but I don't actually have the space right. or capacity for that. The problem I have been trying to solve in my house is an entryway organizer. Like, place to mm-hmm. dump your wallet, keys, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I've learned that it's something that Thomas and I apparently both have very strong feelings about. Mm. I want hooks for keys. Mm-hmm. And he desperately wants it to have a back so that the stuff isn't, like, hitting against the wall. Like, he doesn't just want a shelf. And you can't just put it on a surface, like, on a like on your kitchen counter? Well, we have something on our kitchen counter. Okay. Too much stuff accumulates there. So it turns out that our holiday gift guide episode really served me this mm-hmm. year because one of the companies we recommended, Quark, which is this French company that does pegboards. But I learned that they do like fully custom size ones. Oh, nice. So you can get it to fit whatever space you want. And so we got this like bitty one and you design Shoot. your own. You pick the color, like whatever. What color did you pick? We just got like the pale basic yeah. wood, yeah, but yeah, you could yeah. get like a painted one. Yeah. And so you can get it for whatever space you need. I love it. These are, pegboards are very hot in the children's room decor category. People love it for I a kid's s- room, which makes sense because it also gives kids a little bit of agency over, you know, what they want to display and where they want to put stuff. Well, it's, and it's also a like a little Lego-like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This other company I looked at called Little Anana, which is another French seller. I don't know. Apparently the, the French, French are, are really words, into this. Interesting. Interesting. Which I guess works with the Julia Child of it all. It has a lot of like kid-friendly shapes where it's oh, like this is stars cute. and cacti and like whatever, like more kid decor oriented stuff. This is very cute. Did pegboards originate in like hardware shops? Exactly. Exactly. It's like a hardware thing and their technical term. Where did I? Oh, I guess I didn't. It's like peg, pegged hardwood or something. Okay. Because yeah. it's perfect for storing stuff in a hardware setting. 
Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And then garages and, That's, you know, it yeah. was like in that context. In your workshop. And workshop is the term I'm looking for. Workshop. 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 Mm-hmm. And then it be was brought inside into the kitchen as as many things, you know, have been. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. Well, I look forward to using your entryway storage system. So are you going to put <laughs> a little ledge on it? So it has a little shelf. Okay. So they're like little accessories that you can buy. Okay. I recommend the like more basic wooden ones. There's some like 3D printed stuff. It mm-hmm. all looks like 3D printed stuff, mm-hmm. you know, but little pegs with little wooden balls at the ends. So your keys don't fall off. And Cute. little shelves. And Cute. yeah, you can really go a lot of ways. It's fun. And this company shipped really quickly and they were just delightful quirk. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I am attracted to the idea of getting my entryway stuff off wherever we have it now, a surface on top of the hutch. That's the thing. I feel like we have a tray, you uh-huh. know, that ends up accumulating. Yes. Like, I don't know, a random like watch Matches. battery. And like, yeah, like mm-hmm. just nonsense, right? Mm-hmm. Like gum and like whatever. Yes. And this is not for that. Okay. This is for like, right now it's like keys and sunglasses. Like the things that okay. you're like grabbing as you're walking out of the door. You don't want to be like sifting through okay. things being like, where's that? How are you as someone who has many pairs of sunglasses managing this? I have one pair of sunglasses in my purse, and then I have one on that, and and others okay. are separate. Okay. So there are two in rotation. Okay. But thank Got you it. for asking. You're welcome. Thank you for asking. <laughs> You're so Thank welcome. you for seeing that. Yeah. <laughs> Just wanted to think this through. The details are important to me. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you so much to Nutrafol for sponsoring today's episode. I have to say, in a world of so many supplements and and so many supplements, <laughs> so many supplements, and also just so many things that promise hair growth and hair thickness and whatever, I feel really good about Nutrafol because this is the one that has actual clinical studies behind it, which is something that so many companies don't do because you don't have to do it. And this is a company. And it's that hard like, and it's expensive. And it's, you know, it's it's more than just marketing. It's like actually truly, proving that something it's out. Truly, it's cumbersome. And they they went and they did it. And in these clinical, in this clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months, which is really impressive. Like that's that's the real deal. I also just like that on top of the hair growth that that actually happens and works. This is like, this is a vitamin that's also helps with your nails and your skin and everything else. Cause it's all good stuff for you. So you just don't have to worry about like, what am I actually putting in my body? And like, I don't know, is this really working? And is this good for me? And is it going to have weird side effects? No, it works and it's good. And it's good for you beyond just your hair. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement clinically shown to improve your hair growth thickness and visible scalp coverage. Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting the five root causes of thinning through whole body health. Nutrafol has three unique formulas to support women throughout all stages of life, including postpartum and menopause. Each formula is physician formulated using natural drug-free medical grade ingredients and consistently effective dosages so that you get the most reliable results. Over 3000 top doctors and stylists recommend Nutrafol as an effective and high quality solution for healthier hair. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code of thing or two to save $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere and it's only available to US customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com promo code a thing or two. 
Relationships are hard, and that's why I'm here. Hey friend, it's Cammie Crawford. Think of me as your big sister slash audible BFF that you can always trust to give you the real tea. This is my show, Relationship, the advice podcast that covers all relationship topics, the good, the bad, and the straight up shitty. Need advice? Send your story to hello at relationshippod.com or DM me at relationship on IG and tune in for new episodes every Friday. Be sure to follow us and subscribe so you don't miss all the hot goss. And if you're loving the show, please leave us a review. Talk soon, bestie. I, the other day, was describing something to Chris and telling a story, and he asked why a person had stayed in this situation. And I was like, I don't know, because it's like, it was like sexy high school, which is a term that came my way, courtesy of one of Chris's former coworkers, that is so incredibly useful. I love it so much. I'm mostly interested in talking about it because I want people to help me with other examples of sexy high school. So yes, yes. (laughs) The origin of this is that Chris used to work at this boutique advertising agency called Mother. And it was sort of known for being really good and producing like really good work, but also having an incredibly collegiate atmosphere. They were super social. Everybody in the office was really legitimately friends, but they also took their work seriously. They took themselves seriously. And I remember talking to this friend of his, Whitney Yondo, who worked there, about the fact that she'd been there for so long and so many people who worked there had been there for so long. And I asked her why. And she was like, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I get annoyed with it here and I think I should move on. But it's so hard because it's it's, it's sexy high school. It's really fun. And I was like, wow, sexy high school. Yes, that is exactly what mother is. And it's very obvious as a descriptor for a workplace, but it feels like it could describe so many things like a social scene, a sports team, an interpersonal dynamic, like anything totally. can be sexy high school if it tries. Any group of people interacting. <laughs> yeah, it can be sexy high school if they try. And the thing I will say is like, ob- you know, unsurprisingly at mother, there were lots of hookups and lots of relationships that ultimately led to marriage and babies and whatever. But it wasn't about that. It wasn't about that there was a hookup culture the there. Up. It yeah. was yeah, 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 it yeah. was truly like the carefreeness, the sociability, the playfulness, the silliness, lots of gossip. And all like the gossip does feel extremely core. Like it doesn't have to be hookup gossip, but there needs to be some level of gossip. I agree that the gossip is incredibly core. I asked Whitney, do you remember this? And she was like, of course. She was like, it's the best descriptor. <laughs> And I asked her to define it, and she said, I think it's any place that makes you revert back to teen tendencies, places where gossip flows, drama ensues, elaborate bits are played out with the added bonus that we're all adults now that know how to dress and style ourselves, so we're implicitly just sexier. And I was like, oh, elaborate bits being played out feels very important. I mean, I I gasped. (laughs) Yes. That does feel really core to it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like a four-year-long running joke. Exactly. What other atmosphere can you have that in? Exactly. It's like more than inside jokes, but inside jokes are part of it. It's fully bits that a full group of 40-some-odd people more are all in on and all playing out. I just, I truly love Can I tell you something else about this that was like so sexy high school that I can't believe happened? Mm -hmm. That they would have these annual ski trips. Oh my God. It's crazy. The only time that (laughs) happened was like in high school where you sign up and sell magazines to go on a ski trip. I was like, I can't believe this is part of a work culture that you're all going to do something that requires athletic ability. And people are like, what? Like, taking, you know, taking flasks on a ski lift. This is a disaster. <laughs> it was really nuts. There were ski trips on to all the boys I loved before. I'm, I'm pretty yes. sure. Yes, I mean, there, there were. a ski trip plot. That is absolutely, so, like, there that was that is, hot tub scene. That is, there's a hot tub scene. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was thinking that it's basically like in high school, you play house, right? 
as an, an, an yes, and as an adult, you do sexy high school. It's like the inverse of playing house. And then the other thing you and I were talking about, I was like, it is what you imagine high school would be like when you watched all those teen movies where twenty five year olds played seventeen year olds with an inordinate amount. When of you were like twelve, you watched. Yeah, them. yeah. 25-year-olds playing 17-year-olds, their parents are never seen on screen and they have so much money and so much independence. So it's Cruel Intentions, Days to Confused, Empire Records, Do Revenge. Love Do Revenge. I feel like that's, yeah, there's like one adult in that film at all and it's yes. Michelle Geller, and we're all like, is she actually, she couldn't <laughs> right. possibly be an adult. No, could absolutely not. Not in our lifetimes. Yes. Not in our lifetimes. <laughs> so it's just like, it's high school without curfews and parents and budgets, basically. And yeah. I encourage everybody to make use of this term. Get in the Geneva and tell And us. seek out opportunities. You know, <laughs> seek out opportunities. Make your own sexy, sexy high, high school. school. Yes. Make your own That's sexy it. high school. Yeah. Um, that is it. Related to movies. Mm-hmm. Movie trailers mm-hmm. we have been thinking about. So I tried to pitch. Thomas and I saw two films in the theater this year. Okay. Mm-hmm. We saw Everything Everywhere All at Once and Tar. And I like pitched him aggressively on seeing both of these movies Mm -hmm. and I made him watch the trailers for both and he was extremely suspicious going into both and he loved them both. Mm -hmm. And the problem was the trailers. Mm. Everything everywhere all at once looks like a straight up action movie in the trailer and Tar looks like a thriller. Like the music. I thought Tar was a thriller. I still haven't seen it. Claire, it is not. It is not. Right, because you and I talked about it and you were like, but is it scary? And then I watched The Holiday over mm-hmm. the holidays. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Cameron Diaz's job is like being a big shot movie trailer producer. It is a delightful element of this film. And it is a good reminder that basically trailers are like an art form of their own. And she's cutting this trailer mm-hmm. for this James Franco, Lindsay Lohan movie. <laughs> and it's it's perfect. Yes. Like everything about it is mm-hmm. perfect. That It's these two. That still holds up mm-hmm. conceptually. Mm-hmm. Like God bless. And then... This article came out in Vox called Stop Watching Movie Trailers. And I was like, I will. Thank you. (laughs) From Melissa Wilkinson. And she gives like a very strong pitch, which is trailers aren't designed to give you a glimpse of the movie. There are many movies designed to sell tickets or maybe subscriptions to a streamer. And they're starting to feel increasingly divorced from their actual movies. On its opening weekend, she said bombed, which is to say it didn't open to the studio's expectations. And people are quick to blame it on the film for being too arty or depressing or on the audience for not wanting to see movies in the theaters. All these factors may be part of it. But the problem, I think, is that the trailer sells you some kind of triumphalist journalism narrative about brave reporters breaking an earth shattering story and saving the world. In reality, it's a very measured and realistic story that's mostly about what kind of arduous work it takes to get people on the record. It ends on a distinctly sobering, even ambivalent note. You won't walk out pumping your fist and you shouldn't. And you saw She Said, which I haven't seen. And I did watch the trailer for it. And again, (laughs) what did I do? What was I doing? I did like She Said a lot. I didn't like it nearly as much as the book. And I do think that the book does have a bit of a fist pumping quality to it. And the movie basically stops right when the book gets good. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Fair, fair. I think I was going to like any movie that came out based on this story. And- I liked the movie. I would encourage people to see it. What I worry about is people seeing it and then not reading the book because I think the book is so much better. The book is fantastic. Yeah. The book is fantastic. I have to say, though, I <laughs> I don't think I watch movie trailers as a way of deciding whether or not I want to see a movie. I do look at them as mini movies, and I love the ones that just leave you, like, sobbing within the first two minutes you know, or the full two minutes. I do think that's how you watch them. I, I don't even know if I watch – I think – 
I consume more content about movies and my best way of trying to convince Thomas to go see them historically has mm-hmm. been through trailers, but clearly mm-hmm. that's the wrong angle. And I don't know why I've decided that was the right thing. Yeah. Like I could send him a review. Like this yes. is the answer. The that answer is, a better, is to like, this is sure. someone who could engage with a review. And that's basically what Alyssa Wilkinson, the writer of this box story says is like, pick a few critics and follow them and <laughs> find people whose taste you agree with it for the most part and use that to decide. Like, stop watching this nonsense. Speaking of movies and also Tar, I was on a group chat the other day about, we were just like making plans to get a meal. <laughs> a friend was like, okay, also off topic, but what's a good food to sneak into a movie theater? I'm going to see Tar tomorrow at the Americana. It starts at 4.20 and seems to be over around 7.20. I guess I could wait to eat until after, but that's a little late for me. My immediate reaction is like, this is a truly nutty question and nobody's going to take this seriously. Like you just accept that your dinner is going to be an entree-sized portion of popcorn. You can mix in some raisinets. Entree-sized? It's going to be yeah. bigger than that, Claire. Yeah. It's going to be a large popcorn. And since it's, ta- since it's taking the place of a meal, you can mix in, you know, dump some M&M's, some raisinets in there. And then you just totally. submit to the situation, which is not unlike my philosophy about the airport and which came up in relation to our farmer's fridge conversation of like, yes, you could seek out a mediocre salad or you can just lean into what the airport does best and get Annie Ann's. Like you're not eating popcorn for dinner on a regular basis. You're not eating Annie Ann's on a regular basis. You just accept these moments. They are the exception. You this is them. true. But the problem with that analogy is you have to believe Auntie Anne's is good, which I don't. Oh, wow. I didn't know that about yeah. you. Yeah. Mm. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can't yeah. believe uh-huh. it's taking. You have us to believe that Auntie Anne's is not a sacrifice in and of itself. But, okay. but I hear. I get your point. I, I like your framing point. it as a belief. It's your belief system. <laughs> it's just my value system, system that yeah. Auntie Anne's yeah. is not good. So back to this question, she's like, "So what food can I sneak into the movie theater that will be a meal?" Which I'm just expecting everybody to be like, "LOL, you don't, you kook." No, I was the only one thinking this way. Everybody else in the group chat treated it as a fully legitimate question. Responses included, I can tell you from recent experience, a wrapped sub makes a lot of noise. (laughs) And then somebody else said, I was thinking sushi rolls since they won't smell. I was like, I wouldn't have even known that these were the things we had to take into consideration, like smell and noise. Sound. Yeah. I just. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And then and then the person who asked a question said, actually, just realized I can walk to mini kebab, to which someone else responded, you're going to bring a kebab to tar? This conversation has gone so off the rails and I'm out. I just. Well, it does just feel like I think the problem with with the kebab and tar for me is more that it feels thematically off. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Like when Alamo Draft House will like do yes. their menu pairings yes. and you're like, thank you for like right. thinking this through. <laughs> Eating a kebab at tar doesn't feel right, but there yeah. is some sort of like, but schnitzel at tar might feel right. Mm, like, I totally, don't know. Totally. <laughs> do you think that when Alamo Draft House does those themed menu additions and ties them back to a movie, is that like a, is that a brand partnership that they've done with the movie or is that fully editorial? I think that's editorial. I think that's a content decision. <laughs> okay. The best, the only, the only real themed experience I think I've ever had in this way was with you where, mm. when we went to see Fifty Shades of Grey. Do you remember which one film. it was? Was it the first one? I think it was, oh, it the, was first the first one. It was the no, first. No, Claire, that was what was momentous about yeah. it. With Jamie Beck, Jamie snuck in a bottle of champagne and three plastic champagne flutes. And <laughs> we drank a bottle of champagne while watching the film. And it felt exactly right. And didn't reveal because, it to us until we were in the theater. 
No, of course not. There was nothing to say until we were there. It was also that it happened to be at the best slash emptiest movie theater in all of New York, mm-hmm. the Regal Battery Park. Highly endorsed this movie theater. Like opening day, go there. Yes. There's always going to get seats. Yes. And, you know, the idea of sneaking something and having a secret felt really right for Fifty Shades. <laughs> when I first met Chris, he was in a phase of his life where he had like a ton of creative side projects, one of which was a blog that he ran with his friend, with his best friend. The blog was called Drank With That. And the concept was that they'd concoct these very elaborate themed cocktails to sneak into movies and then publish a recipe along with a review of the movie. It was very funny. It was very dumb. One of our early dates, he took me to see Captain America and he was like, we have to do, I I like committed to, to doing a drink with that entry around this. So we have to do the themed drinks. A and drink. I, I yeah. can't remember what it was. I feel like it was like an it involved Budweiser's. With, I, with like the flag on the can. Yeah, the Budweiser's exactly. With the flag on the can. Exactly. Uh-huh, uh-huh, and I remember uh-huh, going uh-huh. shopping with him once when he was on his way to see some astronaut themed movie and he was getting, t- we stopped to get Tang somewhere. Right, it was, right, right. <laughs> that You know the vibe. Yeah, this is what yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, this is what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and if mm-hmm. if you're about to go Googling, I understand, but he, I did ask him today about Frank with that and he said that it was hacked and shut down. So unfortunately, <laughs> that has been lost. Someone's still posting. You know, I hope mm-hmm. someone hacked it because they wanted to carry on the legacy. I hope um, so too. <sighs> you know where else I went to bring this, this episode full circle? Well, you and I both went to the Midwest over break over Christmas Mm -hmm. and by the way Mm -hmm. thank you all for your enthusiastic responses to our Midwest segment that that aired recently this is Midwest part two and if you oh (laughs) and if you didn't like it I'm sorry but we have more Midwest to report here reporting on the Midwest (laughs) my report is specifically on the Minneapolis airport the Minneapolis St. Paul airport known as MSP turns out it's it's an incredibly Minnesotan vibe and there were a couple things going on that I really loved the first of which was self-promotional ad campaign. So you're in the Minnesota airport. I don't know. That makes me stressed just even hearing <laughs> the idea that Minneapolis is being self-promotional. That, okay. I'm Fair. interested to see where this goes. It's not very yeah. Minnesota of them. It's unlike them, but go on. <laughs> they did do it in the most Minnesota way possible. And I'm like, frankly, amused, one, by advertising an airport at all. As if anybody is choosing. And I suppose in New York, maybe you're you either are, going kind of. there or you're not. Yes. yes. Right. No, that's true. In New York, it's a one airport. In now. Minneapolis, yeah. nobody's like, mm, should I drive to Bemidji? No, people are just like, I'm going to MSP. So it's not only are you advertising the airport as if people have a choice, but you're advertising it to people who are already at the airport, trying to tell them something they might not know about the airport that they're in. So maybe they're just picking somebody up. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So they were promoting the fact that they'd been awarded. Best airport in North America in the ASQ program in the category of 25 to 40 million passengers. That was my other favorite thing about it. The idea that anybody would have a sense of the number of passengers passing through the airports. Honestly, I love that takeaway. That that I love more than (laughs) anything else so far. Huge congratulations to them. Huge congratulations. So the hook for this campaign is that they printed actual customer comments that had been written about MSP. And that was basically... Mm. That was the ad itself. So I just wanted to read you some of my favorites because these actual customer comments are also the most Minnesota. MSP is my favorite airport to travel through. Plus, my wife's family lives in the Twin Cities. So besides traveling through for work, we travel for family. Just imagine that as copy on a billboard. Just that. Another one. Yeah, no, I'm seeing it. (laughs) Always been impressed with MSP being a top award winner in many categories. Very proud of their accomplishments. 
they all continue in this vein and they're all they they're truly like that Instagram account ordinary people memes come to life. And it <laughs> makes me think that do you think that MSP was in on the joke of printing these? They're just so mundane. I guess this is the most enthusiasm you could express about an airport, but they're not very enthusiastic. And they're like, but let's print it on a billboard. If somebody was like, Minneapolis, this airport is awesome. They would never. That's like too self-congratulatory. This is people being like, of the airports I traveled to, I like this one. You're right. It, it's humble in a very Minnesotan way. And that is what is so yes. Minnesotan about it to me. The more we talk about this and the more I think about it, every ad campaign has a different objective, right? And not every campaign is about conversion and not every campaign is about brand awareness. Some are just about like no. brand loyalty, right? And engendering a sense of community and affinity. And I do think that this wasn't a brand affinity campaign of people being like, you know, my wife's family does live in the Twin Cities and I do <laughs> like travel. I really, I relate to this guy. I Yeah, I'll yeah. come back. Yeah. So thank you. Actually, this has been a very productive conversation about that ad campaign. The other incredibly Minnesota thing that happened at MSP was that I was going through a sort of ancillary terminal that's not the main terminal. And the regular security line was all the way back to the parking garage. The pre-check line, and I am not being hyperbolic, had one single person in it. And correct me if I'm wrong, these days you always expect the pre-check line to be the longer thing, right? Like that's the joke. Like nobody's actually saving time because everybody has pre-check. Either way, you don't have to take your shoes off and your laptop out, so you're still going to do it. This feels like early days of This feels like, Like, right, the first year of pre-check where only people who fly all the time People are like, what's that? Yeah. And it immediately struck me as extremely Minnesotan. And I was sort of tumbling over why in my head. And I get to the gate and I see a friend who is a lifelong Minnesotan. And she commented on the pre-check situation and immediately is like, it's so Minnesotan. And I'm like, thank God you can say it because I can't. It's like, I'm not allowed to talk shit on your sister, but you can. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And she's like, it is the most Minnesota thing because it's this attitude of like, me, I don't need special treatment. Like, I don't need that. That seems like a lot of trouble for me to go through when the current system works just fine. I don't mind waiting in line. You don't have to do anything fancy for me. When in fact, the TSA would prefer that you do pre-check. Like, it makes everyone's life easier. We're not giving you special treatment here. They don't want your shoes off. They really <laughs> they don't. don't. Deal with you. Rather- <laughs> and even this- They don't want you to lose your <laughs> laptop in the bin. They don't want it. They don't want it. Even this friend was like, yes, I know that it is that because that was, I only got pre-checked this year. She was like, I always had this feeling of, I don't need that. And she was like, I'm going to Mexico with a friend soon. And she was like, I'm not waiting around for you. It's 80 bucks for five years. Get your fucking pre-check. I love Minnesota and I love my Minnesotan friends and family. And this is also a very foreign approach to life. It relates to this whole concept of Minnesota nice, which if you are not familiar, Wikipedia defined it thusly. Minnesota nice is a cultural stereotype applied to the behavior of people from Minnesota and Wisconsin, implying residents are unusually courteous, reserved, mild banner, and passive aggressive against people who are not like them. The phrase also implies polite friendliness, an aversion to open confrontation, a tendency toward understatement, a disinclination to make a direct fuss or stand out, apparent emotional restraint, and self-deprecation. They nailed it. I also like that Wisconsin gets bundled into this, <laughs> and God knows what no, the Wisconsinites wouldn't speak up and be like, it's rude that we're <laughs> being called Minnesota nights. Like, that feels yeah. part of uh-huh. it. You know That's what I mean? To be like, we wouldn't want to. It's fine. It's mm-hmm. We get it. It's We understand. It's close enough. The, the part of this Wikipedia entry that was most enlightening for me was the concept has also received some support from the academic community. A national study done in 2008 found that Minnesota was the second most agreeable and fifth most 
extroverted state in the nation, traits associated with nice. The tradition of social progressivism in Minnesota politics has been linked to the Minnesota nice culture, which one I loved. Great. Yeah. But the extroverted thing really landed for me. I hadn't associated that with Minnesota nice, but I have never had so many strangers talk to me in a grocery store as I do when I'm in Minnesota. Everybody talks to you at the grocery store. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. When Thomas was like living in Minnesota for a couple of years and we were looking for an apartment, he and I both just reverted back to the most Midwestern versions of Mm. ourselves and like making small talk with, you know, the person (laughs) showing us every apartment and them telling us where the best burger was nearby. Like that was just a conversation. And just, and I I was exhausted at the end of the day, just like totally exhausted. I was like, oh, right. Because I just chatted in a way that I don't in New York because that, if you were with a broker in New York or like going to see an apartment, that wouldn't be happening. People wouldn't be like, so where are you from? What are you doing? What are you going after this? Like that just wouldn't happen. Can I tell you about my one takeaway from my Madison airport Mm -hmm. experience? Mm -hmm. Okay. So Madison's airport is very similar to the airport that I grew up with in Peoria, where it's like, you know, six to 12 gates. So you're saying it's not competing. It's not competing. It's a different category. Yeah. It's a, it's a different category. (laughs) It's a totally, totally different ASP. What's the, what's the, (laughs) what's the term? ASQ. It's an, they're not, it's a totally different ASQ program. Yeah. Yeah, It's completely different, which means that it's also the kind of airport that if you show up and you haven't eaten or whatever, you're like, historically, you've been a bit SOL. Okay. Well, not anymore Mm -hmm. because there is now a glorious food product that can be found at this airport. And I need to give you a little bit of background. So there is something in in Wisconsin called the Kringle. Okay. Which is this like pastry. It's, it looks like a wreath basically in pastry form. Okay. So it's So it's like a crawler, but like, but in circular form. Oh, okay. Much larger. Okay. It's like a cake? It's like Pete's. It's pizza size, basically. It's a ring. It's so a it's ring. a cake. No, it's <laughs> low. It's like uh, it's like a filled pastry the size of a pizza that has a hole in the center. It's a it's just like the size of a wreath. Like that's you know and like flat. Okay, but I'm it's just... filled and it has like icing on top. And does one person eat it? No, no. So this is like a th- it's like a shared thing. People send this for like holiday presents, whatever. This it's like a flat bunt cake, kind of. Yeah. If so, if an elephant sat on a bunt cake, okay, you'd get this. <laughs> okay. So there's this bakery called O and H Danish Bakery that's been at it since 1949. They describe themselves as the pride of Racine. They were even declared delicious by President Barack Obama during his visit to O and H Danish Bakery <laughs> in 2010. It's delightful. My brother is obsessed with these. They are like quite good. They're they're like they have nut fillings a lot of times. I think that those are the best ones, like an almond or a walnut. Yeah. This or- this New York Times. One that credits Racine, Wisconsin, with the origin of them has almond paste in them. Yes. In it. Yeah. And you know, I love an almond paste. Me too. Like anything marzipan adjacent. Yeah. yeah. So good. My brother keeps a catalog for this on like out at his apartment. Like wow. it's a coffee table book for all the holiday season. This is to say that O&H is like the, the historic one that I know. Okay. They've been okay. on this since 1949. They have a competitor called Racine Danish Kringles. They that company owns the domain Kringle.com. So Whoa. like really making a move here, like Whoa. a hard push. Okay. Right? Yeah. They have introduced something called an individual single serve size Kringle. And I've only thus far encountered it at the Madison Airport. And it is basically it's like ostensibly a fancy a, a toaster strudel. So it's like if you cut a piece of the Kringle, you'd get it's like a toaster strudel. Oh, so basically. it's not round. No, it's just a Oh, it is actually just a toaster strudel. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it, it feels like one of these things where you're like, right, this is like, should have been yeah, 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 much yeah. earlier. Uh-huh. Like, why did we wait this long? You well, can buy like personalized we had party to, favorite versions now. We had to like, wait for Gretchen Wiener's father to invent it. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's, That's why. right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But I just, the one thing I really need them to do, and mm-hmm. this is where they're falling short. Yeah. They need to be branding this the Kringle single. Oh. Absolutely. Why are they not? What are they like, calling what it? What are they doing? They're just calling it like a mini Kringle? What are they calling it? An individual single serve size Kringle. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. And clearly Kringle these are- single. Clear, Kringle single. Clearly these are people who care about branding because they bought Kringle.com. Yeah. And, and they call themselves the racing Danish Kringles like to try to really like shove mm. out. Yeah. They're really mm-hmm. making moves. And wow. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, this is this is a situation the- where I'm like, you should be doing what the airport does best. You know, like eating what the airport <laughs> offers. <laughs> New Glarus beer, Kringle single. Hey, breakfast of champions. How do you feel about Cinnabon? I don't really have feelings. And you don't even like the Annie Ann's that has cinnamon sugar on it? Oh, no, you don't like cinnamon. I just don't really like cinnamon. I think the best Annie Ann's offering is the is the pretzel wrapped hot dog. Gross. No. Wow. I don't like a soft pretzel very much. That's the thing. Gosh, I mean, I I can't, it's like, I'm shocked because I didn't know this about you, but I'm not surprised because Annie Ann's pretzels taste like chemicals, like if chemicals had a taste. But yeah. I mean, yeah. great. We learn something new about each other all the time. I mean, yeah. Keeps the what romance alive. This podcast yeah. <laughs> what an opportunity this podcast is. That's the show. This has been a production of Dear Media, and we are so grateful to the talented team over there for helping us make this podcast happen, especially to our wonderful producer, Ali Slice. You can follow us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ, and if you have ideas for our show or want to advertise, email podcast at a thing or two HQ.com. Find show notes and sign up for our newsletter at a thing or two HQ.com too. If you love the show, consider supporting it by signing up for a secret menu also at a thing or two HQ.com. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.